I don't know you, but I can guess. And here's what I think. You may have started with Shakespeare because of school, but you stayed with Shakespeare because you wanted to, right? Right. From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. As we all know, the Shakespeare spark can come at any time, at any age. And for those of us who love Shakespeare's work, when we see that spark in a young person, we want to fan it into something bright. In today's media universe, there's a surprising amount of material geared toward young people that's designed to do just that. Now seemed like the right time to do a roundup of Shakespeare in popular culture. For all those parents, those grandparents, aunts and uncles or friends who know someone who's just starting to take an interest in Shakespeare. We called on someone who we thought would be a good guide, Stephanie Yachman. She's someone who's as close as you can possibly get to young people with a new and budding interest in Shakespeare, an English teacher in Richmond, Virginia. We're also proud to say that Stephanie is an alumna of the Folgers Teaching Shakespeare Institute. Grab a pencil and get ready to write down her suggestions. We call this podcast, Strong Passion is Impressed in Youth. Stephanie Yachman is interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Stephanie, it is so great to have you on our podcast. And I really wanted to tell you right off the top that nearly every time I've ever talked to my kids about a Shakespeare play, they almost always know at least the bare bones of the plot from having seen it parodied in an episode of The Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can understand that. They've been, I knew they had done Hamlet, but I hadn't realized they'd covered Macbeth and uh, several other plays too. Oh, they've cut a whole swath. It's Mm -hmm. shocking. And it it drives home for me just how pop culture references to Shakespeare do give kids this immediate end to the material. I mean, at least for my kids, it made them feel like it's theirs. But I'm curious about your experience. How do kids respond to pop culture versions of Shakespeare and and why you think it is a grab for them? I I think just like you said, it it makes it feel more like theirs. Um, I think it makes them feel really smart when, as we're starting to talk about a play, they can say, oh, I know that. You know, oh, I've seen this. Yes, they really light up that way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. When you start talking about Twelfth Night and they go, wait, I watched this movie and Channing Tatum was in it. <laughs> you know, they get it's really exciting. And that becomes a way in to say, you know what, this play is 400 years old, but it still works. Well, that's true. And, you, and you've and you kind of gotten ahead of me because my next question was, <laughs> what are some of the criteria for choosing things for the curriculum, because what what you're saying, that all makes sense, why it would be useful to have a bit of pop culture as far as getting kids kind of lit mm-hmm. up. But obviously, you know, you have to meet appropriate guidelines for language and violence and the usual taboos. And I'm sure there are other criteria I've never thought of. Sure. So I think if I'm using something in the classroom, I'm thinking about, can this illustrate something that's complex? Can it provide maybe some historical information or critical information that's going to help our study? Uh, I might also be thinking about, you know, lesson openers and something that can catch students' attention and then lead the way to a deeper study. So maybe we look at the movie scene first, and then we look at Shakespeare's text. And yes, I'm thinking about those guidelines, too. So there's lots of funny parodies of Shakespeare that can't show up in the classroom, but there's also plenty of good things that can, too. (laughs) Well, speaking of one of these funny parodies that 
I think that you might be able to use. We talked to Eric Didrikson on this podcast, and he takes pop songs, and he reimagines mm-hmm. them as Shakespearean sonnets. He's the pop sonnets guy. The novice bar doth find it hard to breathe. His chest doth heave with hopes to achieve regard. His feelings guarded all in the art perceive him to have conceived a tale to weave to bombard their ears with song, but something's wrong tonight. I love using them with students. The songs that he chooses are songs they know really well. It's fun to play guessing games with the pop sonnets. So I'll show them the pop sonnet, and then as a class, we'll guess which song is this. Can you figure it out? He leaves aghast. He's been miscast, a crime. He now must climb out of the grime amassed until at last his skills recast as prime. When opportunities arise, take heed and lose thyself in every worthwhile deed. Students were some of the first people to bring me pop sonnets. Oh, really? Yeah. How did they even find out about them? I had a few seniors, I'd say maybe five years ago or so, who just really loved Tumblr. Pop Sonnets, I think, began as a Tumblr. And so somehow they had stumbled upon them. And so when we started, I think I was teaching poetry or I was starting our Shakespeare unit. And one of my seniors came up and said, have you heard of this Pop Sonnets? I think I had briefly heard it referenced, but hadn't really checked it out. And I went and looked and thought, this is a gold mine. Into the well I cast a humble prayer. And though the wish remains yet unconveyed, my countenance on seeing you so fair has left all my desire thus betrayed. T'was not from lust or love that I did seek, yet you obstruct the road of fate for me. As skin through tears and shabby trousers peaks, the torrid breezy night arouses glee. I wasn't looking for this, but now you're in my way. Your stare was holding red chains you're reading the sonnet, but he manages to get in all the lyrics you remember, but just uh, in a way that maybe Shakespeare would have written them instead. And not to knock fun, but what do kids learn from something like a pop sonnet? They're learning the form. They know what the song is about. So they're not having to work out what it means Along with looking at, you know, iambic pentameter or rhyme scheme, we can just look at how the form works. Uh, It's a great way to think about syntax and how sentences in Shakespeare get inverted. Oh, so it's an in into Shakespearean language and the plays as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was in school, we watched Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. In fact, that's the only pop culture (laughs) reference I remember from my time in school to Shakespeare. But now you have so many films to choose from. I mean, you have uh, Baz Luhrmann with Claire Danes Mm -hmm. and Leo DiCaprio. There's one from 2013 with Haley Steinfeld and Douglas Booth. And Mm -hmm. there's also West Side Story and Shakespeare in Love and Romeo and Juliet in in Harlem, right? And and Warm Bodies, a a recent, pretty recent movie. That's the zombie version of Mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet. So that list just goes on and on. And that's and we're just talking about that one play. So right. what are teachers using these days and what do you use? Uh, I think the Buzz Lerman version is still pretty popular. But lately I've been using Orlando Bloom and Condola Rashad, which is shot on stage. It was a, a film of the Broadway production from, I think, 2012 or 2013. Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand, that I might touch that cheek. I mean. She speaks. Oh, speak again, bright angel. I really like it because it's on stage, and I'm often trying to get students to think about how they would stage a scene. 
So here they can envision the play on stage, whereas, say, the Zeffirelli film, they're on sets, and the Baz Luhrmann one as well. The winged messenger of heaven unto the white, upturned, wondering eyes of mortals that fall back to gaze on I like that you have a cast where more of the actors are of color than, say, the Baz Luhrmann or the Zeffirelli, and Condola Rashad is an incandescent Juliet. Sails upon the bosom of the air. Oh, Romeo. <laughs> Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not be but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. She is really youthful, and she's funny. In the balcony scene, she's so funny. And I think it's good for students to see that in Romeo and Juliet, a play that can be so tragic. Take all myself. I take thee at thy word. Call me but love, and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. What man art thou that thus be screamed in night so stumblest on my counsel? By a name. And speaking to the other plays beyond Romeo and Juliet, there's uh, the Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles take off, Taming of the Shrew, and Ten Things right. I Hate About You, and yes. She's the Man. That's with Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. It's inspired by Twelfth Night. I was thinking those films are already pretty old. I mean, I think Ten Things came out in 1999. In, in the last mm-hmm. century. It was when I was in high school. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so does that matter with pop culture, Shakespeare, Shakespeare references? Does it, does it work best if the material is of their generation or do students still relate to them as pop culture? That's a good question. I think it might depend on the film. I feel like 10 Things I Hate About You has lived a long life. It's so fun. Heath Ledger's so compelling. It's basic cable has helped to make it relevant for a number of different generations. And then Netflix, too. I think both that and She's the Man, the Freeform Network, which was ABC Family, which when you're teaching middle schoolers or high schoolers, that's a network they're watching pretty frequently. They played both of those movies quite often. And and just stepping out of the classroom um, for a moment, I imagine Mm -hmm. if you wanted to get someone fired up, a friend or a or grandchild or (laughs) your son or daughter about Shakespeare, would you recommend these? I guess you would these same questions apply? Like, should I choose something from their generation? Or can I go back to something that's on basic cable? Or will they think, oh, (laughs) Scotland PA, that's from, I don't know, the 90s. (laughs) I think that's a good question. You have to think about who who you're trying to attract to Shakespeare. But Scotland, PA, I think for your film buff friend who maybe just hasn't seen a lot of Shakespeare, that's a really great way in. Or, you know, even finding a YouTube clip and saying, well, you know, here, here's one really great film of Shakespeare. This is what we're going to go see on stage in a couple of weeks. There's so much out there on YouTube. Some of it should be there. Some of it may be copyright infringement. But um, just giving people a little taste of how their favorite auteurs have interpreted it can be a great way to get people interested. Well, one of the things that you use in schools is the National Theater Productions, National Theater Live Shakespeare Productions. uh, And those are ones that you see in movie theaters. So how do you manage to use that in your teaching? Is that a field trip? Do you you show them in, in class? How does that work? They are a field trip. The first time I took students, I had to convince my local theater to show it. I was teaching Hamlet, and I knew that they were touring the Benedict Cumberbatch Hamlet. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty. 
and form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel. And so I, I wanted that production as a way in for my students, and I collaborated with some other teachers in my area, and we said, you know, we'll buy enough tickets to make it worth your while to show this film. And so we brought all of our classes. It was a nighttime field trip. And then when they've had future productions coming through, sometimes I've made it an optional field trip, you know, where I'll promote that this is happening. We'll send around the permission slip and students come and meet me. And it becomes this really wonderful shared experience. Uh, I love that they have the intermission in the middle where we can talk about what's happening in the play or students can ask me, you know, what was happening here and what did they mean when they said this? So it's a, a great way for you know student to teacher to have conversation. And what was really wonderful is that once we brought this NT Live production to Green Bay, where I had been teaching, a ton of community members showed up too. Wow. So, so you really set a, a wave going. It's like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. That gives me the idea that people listening, if they don't have these live national theater live productions coming to their local movie theater, that they could make some calls. Yeah, I think they could. And there's so much great stuff out there. And if theaters know that it will bring in business, they're more li- likely to bring it to your community. And what a wonderful way, if you're living in a small community, to bring this production from London to your doorstep. Well, I just talked with uh, the producers of the Shakespeare Uncovered series on PBS mm-hmm. for this podcast. Um, so people listening, if, if you missed that podcast, go back and listen. They were really uh, lovely. Mm-hmm. And in that series, each episode focuses on one play, and they pick an actor who's performed the lead in the play at least a few times. And then the host takes you on a journey to places related to the play, for instance, uh, Venice uh, for Merchant of Venice, and mm-hmm. the host speaks to other actors and directors and scholars along the way. And anyway, we talked about what audience they aim the shows at, and and whether it's aimed at people already engaged in Shakespeare or people who don't know the play at all, don't know the plots. And I know you use this series with your students. So how does it go over? And again, what do they get from seeing a show like this? I think it goes over really well in that they see, one, it's just a wonderful way to review the plot of a play or for them to see the places where these plays are happening. Portia is trapped waiting for a suitor. Maybe her answer lies in Venice. Back in the city, the hopeful Bassanio is planning to try his hand with Portia, but he will not be able to unless he secures his loan. And this will bring Antonio, the merchant, to Shylock, the moneylender. I think, too, for some students, it's great to see famous faces get excited about Shakespeare. Like David Tennant, who I'm sure they might know from Doctor Who. Yes, exactly. Big David Tennant fans in past classes. They know him from Doctor Who. Or when they see his face, they say, Bertie Crouch Jr. from the Harry Potter films. So they know. And he's in the Hamlet episode, of course. As Hamlet struggles to make sense of the chaos in his head and all around him, Shakespeare allows us to hear exactly what his troubled protagonist is going through. We, the audience, become his confidant. He uses soliloquies to speak to us directly. When he is looking at, say, the bad quarto of Hamlet in that episode and is just really thrilled to be looking at this text that he didn't know a lot about beforehand oh, yeah, and just and actually learning about it. Touching this rare yeah. book. Yes. And he looks at the to be or not to be soliloquy, right? Which is so different. 
And I think that's so good for students to see to be or not to be as we know it exists in different versions. And that opens up some really wonderful avenues for interpretations. We do some work in my classes where we look at copies of the folio and copies of the quarto and think about, you know, if, if he said the words of the quarto on stage, how does that change our interpretation of his character? So it's exciting for them to see him so excited about this rare book. Or I love to see the part when he's walking through the graveyard with the scholar and they're thinking about uh, ghosts. By the time William was 30, around the time it is thought he wrote Hamlet, his father was aging and ill. And then, Shakespeare suffered a terrible tragedy when his 11-year-old son died. He was called Hamlet. I tend not to show a whole episode because that takes up a lot of class time, but in clips, it's really great. And often, I offer it as an enrichment opportunity for students. Our PBS stations have been really good about showing those episodes, and so I'll tell students when they're scheduled and invite them to watch and maybe write a little reflection and earn some extra credit. Have you used the Ethan Hawke's Hamlet? To be or not to be, that is the question. Yes. Sometimes we'll look at a series of... A video of the same speech and so his to be or not to be is so great because he's walking through the blockbuster right in the action which, section which which kids probably don't recognize like what's that <laughs> what is he doing to die to sleep no more and by asleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks the flesh is heir to We've been talking a lot about movies, but you, I know, have had quite a few students who really like theater. And I imagine in any English class, there are going to be some theater kids. So when you think about using pop culture Shakespeare materials, do you find that they're working better for the theater kids or, or do they work better for the literature kids? Because people come to Shakespeare different ways. And and I'm also asking because uh, the Folger Shakespeare training is really emphasizes getting uh, students to get up on their feet and to get the language into their, into their mouth. Uh, but not every kid is going to think that the best way to engage with Shakespeare is that way or even through theater. Some kids just prefer to read Shakespeare. They love the poetry. They love the language as literature. So do you find that these pop cultural materials work better for one kind of kid more than another? That's a good question. I think... In the NT Live productions, when it hasn't been, say, a required field trip, it's often my theater kids who are going to see the play because they they want to see how this shows up on stage and they want to watch the actors make choices and, and learn from those choices. I think the little clips and parodies or adaptations might be more appealing to, say, my literature students in that they are soaking up lines and language so they might be the ones more likely to play with it, to write with it. And so they can watch other people play and write with it in um, something like 10 Things I Hate About You, where they take the story and put it in new words. So again, taking this out of the classroom, think about what kind of person, when they're, what are their proclivities, and then match the pop culture to, to, to those. Sure. So I think if you are a poetry lover or a music lover, you are a pop sonnet person. If you are a theater goer, the the NT Live or the RSC Live, definitely for you. Or if you are maybe the skeptic who saw a really bad Shakespeare production years and years ago, kind of refresh yourself with 
uh, something from NT Live. If you remember your Shakespeare from high school and you like having that knowledge, then maybe you check out some YouTube parodies or you watch the most recent teen adaptation of a Shakespeare play or you go check out like the new new film version. So there's so much to choose from. I, I have a whole <laughs> list of things I want to ask you about. One of them is Thug Notes. What's happening, yo? This week on Thug Notes, we're getting regal with Hamlet by William Shakespeare. For people who haven't seen it, it's a website where classic literature like Shakespeare is... Well, the plots are retold by comedian Greg Edwards playing a rapper uh, called Sparky Sweets, Ph.D. Ghost Daddy tell Hamlet that he got to strap up and put a toe tag on that fool Claudius. Street justice, know what I mean? Back in the castle, Hamlet's boo Ophelia getting the ill fool from her daddy Polonius and her brother Laertes. He does get to some serious themes, though, and, and mm-hmm. insights. Now, all throughout this play, Hamlet be all torn up about the task of putting one in Claudius's dome and keeps the land. His procrastination is one of the most debated subjects in all of Shakespeare. Some ballers think it's because Hamlet... Certainly I've had students who have seen it already. You know, if they're looking for different information or explanation online, they fall into all sorts of rabbit holes. And so I have students who have watched it and they'll ask me, you know, have you seen this or can we watch it? And I'll say, you know, I've seen it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it and learned something from it, but I'm not going to show it in class. Best to be enjoyed at home. What do they learn from it beyond plot? Yeah, I think they're learning plot. And sometimes they're learning maybe one angle of interpretation, Mm -hmm. uh, which is one reason why I try to avoid something like that or a spark notes or a, you know, no fear Shakespeare in class, because often what we're trying to do is get students to make meaning of the language on their own with just the student and the text. So I try not to show videos like thug notes because they're taking maybe one line of interpretation. I think students can arrive at that on their own or maybe once they hear, you know, somebody more official say it, that makes itself concrete in their mind when I want things to be a little bit more flexible. Do you find that this kind of pop culture material is a good way to break down resistance in kids who are resistant to to Shakespeare or Shakespearean language? Definitely. If I have students who are resistant, and I often do, that's one of my first steps. So, you know, if we're looking at, say, um, Romeo and Juliet, their first meeting, we might look at the Zeffirelli film clip, we might look at the Baz Luhrmann clip, but I'm also definitely bringing in West Side Story because, like, I dare you not to move around when you hear Mambo. Or, you know, if it's the pop sonnet, it's a way to say, well, people are having fun with this. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is a rap. A sonnet is working with rhyme and rhythm, too. You know, just recently I watched a BBC miniseries called Shakespeare Retold. It's four Shakespeare plays, Much Ado, Macbeth, Midsummer, and Taming of the Shrew. And they're all adapted into uh, telemovies set in modern times. And, for instance, Macbeth is set in a, in a London Good restaurant. Boy, Good boy, Johnny. All he does is go up and down stairs with a tray. It's a skill he learned in Feltham. <laughs> Calm yourself. I really enjoy that series. I used to, when I was teaching Macbeth, I actually used that Macbeth in class. 
at the time that I was using it, I think Hell's Kitchen was really popular, and it had sort of a Gordon Ramsay edge. Really? Oh, yes, because Duncan has a TV show. Yes. Yeah, celebrity yeah. TV show, yeah. So show. I thought that was a really clever way in for the kids. And that adaptation in, partic- in particular does some really interesting things with imagery and the idea of, like, butchery versus murder. And they they capture sort of all the, the big moments in Macbeth. You're a knifeman, Joe. You know how it feels. You can't imagine a thing like this. Who can you? It's all set up. You do this, and we win everything. Again, here's that chance to say, you know, this screenwriter read Macbeth and thought, ah, you know, that competition, that's happening in, in the restaurant world, and here's how we can make that connection. And so then I think I'd ask students to think about like where else might somebody like Macbeth take the steps that he's taken to break the rules or go so far beyond breaking the rules. I love how they make the witches are the uh, trash collectors. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Those that's three. Right. I had forgotten about they that. Call, call in England bin men. That's right. And they're, you know, they know, they know it all. They see it all. Right. 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 And to, to ask students like why why would somebody make the choice to have the bin men be the witches? What are the parallels? Anytime these pop culture pieces can inspire discussion or analysis, I'm going to take advantage of that. And just to be clear, in these adaptations, they're, they, they stick closely to the plot points of the plays, yeah. but they're not in Shakespearean language. Right. Right. And so that, I think, is the one drawback for me, since one goal of my teaching is for students to be comfortable with Shakespeare's language, to really own it. That's a drawback. But for the person who is really intimidated by Shakespeare, for the person in your family who's maybe not sitting in the classroom, who's really intimidated by Shakespeare's language, that's a first step in. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. We've been talking about uh, things that make the cut for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one that, that didn't. What else doesn't make the cut for classroom use? Um, sassy gay friend is really entertaining. Meet Juliet from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. She is about to take her own life. This fate could have been avoided if she had a sassy gay friend. What are you doing? What? What? What are you doing? That is a series. It's a comedian, I think, from the Second City. And so he plays this sassy gay friend of a number of Shakespeare's female characters and often walks in on their most climactic moments. Macbeth is going to be king. He heard it from the three witches this morning. Okay, first of all, stop getting your political news from crazy old women who live in the bushes. Second of all, maybe he'll die of natural causes. Slow down, Lady Macbeth. Slow down. Really funny in the way that he makes these, asks us to ask really critical questions about these female characters and the choices that they make. Um, But... Not classroom appropriate in that he is playing a stereotype of sorts. Um, anything else? Um, in terms of what else won't make the cut, I know right now there's emoji versions of Shakespeare plays floating around, and that probably won't show up in my classroom. If students find it and find it amusing, great, because I love it when they're making connections to what they see out there in the world. But again, like in my classroom, I want the focus to be on the language, and the emoji versions tend to really simplify the language, replace a lot of beautiful words with symbols. But it's funny to hear Shakespearean characters talk in texts. So if students want to pick that up on their own, sure. 
Well, if you're looking at the whole collection of all of this material that, that we've been touching on, overall, what do you think makes something appealing to people who either are resistant to Shakespeare or who are, who are younger and feel like, oh, this has nothing to do with me, or who are just people who are new? Timeliness, creativity, passion. Some of those teen Shakespeare adaptations, you know, your, your 10 Things or your She's the Man, at one time they're capturing like timeless questions of teenagerdom, but they're also these really great time capsules of the moment when they were made. Uh, so that can be really appealing to a generation. So timeliness or timelessness or the, just the creativity and the passion behind a project. That NT Live Hamlet, I know critics had mixed reviews of the production itself, but what they do with stagecraft and the production of the play shows so much passion and creativity and interest in really engaging the audience and surprising the audience that for the person less familiar with the play itself, they're going to be dazzled. If I can get students to feel dazzled by Shakespeare, then I've done my job. Uh, And I think also that creativity, that eagerness to adapt and reimagine. And so that's why those retold movies are so interesting in the way that they reimagine where they could be happening. Well, this is this is wonderful. I'm coming away with lots of ideas. And <laughs> it's been so great talking with you. And I wish you had been my teacher back then. <laughs> I would have known so much more about Shakespeare by now. Well, thank you so much. It's been really, really lovely talking with you, Barbara. Well, thank you. Stephanie Yachtman teaches at Trinity Episcopal School in Richmond, Virginia, and before that at Notre Dame Academy in Green Bay, Wisconsin. She's a 2014 alumna of the Folgers Teaching Shakespeare Institute, which she returned to in 2016 as a master teacher. Stephanie was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Strong Passion is Impressed in Youth was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer. We had technical help from Andrew Feliciano and Paul Luke at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California, and Steve Clark at WCVE Public Radio in Richmond. There's something I'd like to ask you to do. It's something I ask on every episode of Shakespeare Unlimited, and I'd like to explain why. A lot of the podcasting platforms decide which podcasts to recommend by looking at the ones that have the most reviews and ratings by their listeners. So, if you like Shakespeare Unlimited and you'd like to tell others how good it is, please rate and review this podcast. I'm really grateful for your help. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. And if you find yourself in Washington, D.C., come visit us at the Folger on Capitol Hill. See a performance in our Elizabethan theater and come face to face with a first folio the first printed edition of Shakespeare's plays. We hope to see you here. Thanks again for listening. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.